Welcome to the Smart Thinking Podcast. This is my dad, Ted. Welcome to the Smart Thinking Podcast. I'm your host, Ted Knightsky. This week, I had a really cool reminder of the power we all have within us. That is the power to control our own happiness, to determine our attitude and to develop resiliency so that we feel comfortable charging into the problems that we all face. What was it? It was a head dropper. Have you ever been around a head dropper? They're the type of people who have a construct in their mind and when it doesn't play out, they drop their heads, can't look up and have a strong sense of internal shame or guilt. They're good people who put a large volume of stock into how the world perceives them. And when the narrative goes the wrong way, well, they get frustrated. They drop their heads and they give up on themselves. As a result of giving up on themselves, they give up on all around them. Then the worst thing happens. Their confidence gets shot. They fear taking the same risks again because they worry they'll get the same result. On episode 164, I discussed blame and fixing blame versus fixing it. And this is a little different because the head dropper fixes blame squarely on themselves. They feel great levels of guilt and they can spiral quickly. They're a helpless little cow who doesn't even move when the storm comes about. As leaders, we have an obligation to watch out for those around us. Remember that we lead as a result of our influence over and for others. How we show up and what we do is what makes us leaders. How we intentionally support the needs of others and look for opportunities to change the direction of others is what makes us different, what makes us leaders. It's what makes us influential individuals, making a difference every second of our interactions with others, and we get to be there for them. One of my all-time favorite examples of influence happened in the winter of 2019 during a college basketball game in California. Two players from UCLA were highlighted in a viral video and demonstrated how one player, just one, can shift another. Leadership is everywhere. And here was the scenario as reported in an L.A. newspaper. With two minutes left in the game, center Moses Brown made a less-than-perfect pass that resulted in a lost possession. His team was down by two, and as the ball drifted out of bounds, so did Brown's spirit. As he made his transition at defense, his head and his shoulders dropped in unison. And that, that's when the magic happened. Almost without missing a beat, UCLA's point guard, Jalen Hands, walked over to Brown, placed his hand under his chin, and tilted his head back up where it belonged. What is so impressive about this is that another player stepped into leadership, made a physical adjustment to the other person's physical posture, and shifted the direction of that person. Head droppers can recover quickly if, if they have the skills and tools and people around them who can lift them up. How do I know? Well, I have a little story to tell you. Longtime listeners will know that I was a soccer coach for a very long time. And I believe some of the best lessons of my life have been learned on those fields. Most of those lessons were learned by me from the young men and women, as well as boys and girls I coached. I was both a varsity coach and a select soccer coach, and one of the most amazing lessons I ever learned was not from wins or losses, championships, near misses, or being blown out, but by a young man named Alex. I was coaching a U-12 soccer team, and there was one boy on our team who was very sensitive, and I had been encouraged by his father to talk to him toughly so that he grew stronger mentally. 
Now, I live by the parents know best rule, so I took that advice from the dad and I was tough in my own way, which is far from tough. But I coached Alex a little stronger, paid more attention to him, and coached corrections with him as needed. My coaching always took place with individuals on the sidelines. I would take players out of the game or from the bench and have them stand next to me and I'd say, hey, I want you to watch the game through my eyes. Then I would talk to them as if I was doing a play-by-play and I would walk through all the things going on, like, where's the ball right now? And I would tell them, watch the ball as it moved from player to player. And I would point out tactics and then explain, all right, this is what I want to see from you, like we just saw in the field. But with Alex, this always caused a head drop. I'd have to ask him to put his head up and watch the game. Ask him if he was listening. Alex, look out there. Now, Alex was a high emotional intelligence guy, very sensitive, playing off the emotional level of his teammates, and his teammates were not always forgiving of Alex, or for that matter, even each other. Hard love on the soccer pitch. So when Alex would make a mistake, he'd drop his head, play with fear, not take risks, and just shy of give up. And that caused him to be pulled from the match and have to stand next to me again. Now, if he was error-free when playing for the first 10 minutes, he'd play out of his mind for the entire game. But any mistake, and he just buried his head and went to the I'm a loser mindset. And this was during matches and even practice. As time went on and having 18 other players on the team, Alex started to lose playing time as his inconsistent behavior and his inability to maintain his emotional level got in the way of his ability to produce on the field. Now, as a coach of high-level soccer teams, it's difficult when you know what to do for the person, but you can't do it for them. I want to pause here momentarily and have you think about this. Are you ever around children or adults who seem to be harsh critics of themselves, and when they're on, they're on, but when they're off, are they off? What do we do for them, and how do we stop them from self-imploding? Why are they trapped, and what can we do? Well, as I finish the story about Alex, I want you to think about the tactic I used and what you'll do moving forward. Because the key to supporting others that you support in the classroom or office or boardroom or emergency room is to recognize that you first have to change your behavior in order to change the behavior of others, especially those you manage and support and serve or oversee. All right, so back to it here. We were beginning our winter indoor season and had practice at a local gym. The boys were excited to be back, and there was a general hyperness in the air, like there always is. I set up some drills, and then I looked over, and Alex looked like he was going to cry. We hadn't even started yet, and I had noticed that he was hesitant as he walked into practice, but I was accustomed to him being unpredictable when he showed up, so I just kind of blew it off. After about 15 minutes of watching him pout around, I had had enough. I asked my assistant to take over the drills, and I told Alex, hey, come out here in the hallway with me. I need you to help me with something, because I never like to talk to players in front of the other players. I sat him down on a wood bench and asked him, what's wrong? He said nothing, just looked forward like a zombie. I then asked him, do you even like playing soccer? Same 1,000-mile stare. Then I put my hand on his shoulder and asked him, Alex, what do I need to do differently so that you enjoy yourself more and play with heart. My select team motto was always the same. Boys or girls, regardless of age, we always said the same thing. Strength of a lion, spirit of a pirate, and heart of a champion. So when I asked him, what what do I need to do different so you play with more heart, he knew I meant it. Suddenly, he snapped out of it and looked at me and said, 
Well, can you not tell me all the things I do wrong? Kind of shocked that he was so candid, considering that he was always super quiet and shy, I said, sure. I then pointed out to Alex that he was dropping his head all of the time, and I was worried that he was quitting on himself. He then went on to explain his cycle. It is something like this. I go out on the field and play hard. I make one mistake and suddenly I start thinking about my parents telling me what I did wrong. Then I hear my teammates yelling at me and I look over at you and I see you getting a substitute ready and then I just think, I'm no good. This is a 12-year-old, a 6th grader, telling me what most adults don't even recognize in themselves. I smiled. I've been working with kids a long time and I smiled because I was proud. But my smile caught him off guard and he began to cry. I told him I was proud of him and clearly confused him again. Now for the tactic. After a minute of recovery and getting him to laugh, I explained my view. We both surged with empathy and recognized each other's misunderstanding. He thinking that I was quitting on him and me thinking he was quitting on himself. Alex, I said, what can I do for you to get you to snap out of it and get you to recognize that I just need you to fix it and move forward? Now, I remember this like it happened a minute ago because he said something that changed the culture of every team I coached for the next seven years and myself. Well, he said, just say that. I said, say what? Just tell me to fix it. I was like, okay, I can do that. I gave him the old shake of the hair and told him to get in there and have some fun at practice today and stop worrying so much. I put him in some positions to ensure he was successful so he would leave happy, and he did. And so did I. The first match of the winter season, I started Alex, and within five minutes, he had dropped his head when he made a mistake. And I turned and yelled, Hey, Alex, just fix it! His posture changed. His head went up like a prairie dog, and he looked over at me, and he played well. He played really well. It actually supercharged him. Now, Here's where it gets interesting. Fix it. Just the simple two words. Fix it. Was quick to stick. Suddenly I heard other players yelling, Hey, fix it, Charlie. Fix it, Joey. Fix it, Tommy. And within a week, I heard parents yelling it out from the stands. Hey, fix it. It became a metaphor. It gave people confidence. And years later, I could hear the boys yelling it on the fields when I wasn't even their coach anymore, when they were playing varsity high school soccer. It became the culture of it's okay to fail, but just work to fix it. And this year, in a scrimmage I was playing in against my son, the college soccer player, Charlie saw me miss an open goal, and I dropped my head. And he came up to me, smacked me on the rear, and said, Hey, fix it. Alex played out of his mind for me for the next three years, rarely left the field, became a leader, and played through and tough from that point on. Why though? Now, if you're hearing this because it's me, well, thanks, but it was not because of me. It was because of Alex. He taught me how to support him. It taught me and everyone else that life moves forward and the only thing you can do as you're dropping your head is to decide if you're going to let it control you and go negative or if you're going to fix it. As Ted Lasso said last season, we all need to be like goldfish. His direct quote was, you know what the happiest animal in the world is? It's a goldfish. It's got a 10-second memory. Alex and every team I coached afterward took on a fix-it mindset. That's 
the mindset of a goldfish. Fix it became our metaphor for move on, forget it, improve, and do better. So what do we do with no, we can't do that? What do we do for a head dropper? First, we need to recognize that when someone drops their head, it's an actual instinctive response because they are reverting to a survival mode. Researchers suggest that when people drop their head, it is because they feel threatened and they are protecting themselves from harm. You see, the crown of your head is the hardest, and when you drop your head, you expose the hardest part of your head to the threat in order to protect yourself. Organizational head droppers can be a real pain if not confronted, but the real question for them is to find out what we need to do differently to keep them in the game, to keep their head up and get them to maintain a positive attitude about the world in which we get to serve. The first thing is to make certain it is safe in your world to fail and then to make sure people know what to do to recover. In this case, my reflection for you and my process is this. What is your cultural language when people fail? What is your internal value system around failing? And finally, what is your failure language? We all drop our heads. Sometimes we can't believe that we just did something or when someone else disappoints us. But creating a culture that celebrates the opportunities around failure will be the culture that prevails. What is your team's mantra? Just fix it? Or what the heck is wrong with you? Whenever there's a problem, we need a process. So here's my little process. Let's call it the dumpster fire process. Three steps or prompts for you. Ask your team to independently respond to these prompts. First question, describe what you need from leadership when things are not going as planned. List what happens in our organization when we are performing poorly. And describe what you need to see and hear from leadership when there is a dumpster fire. Think about these prompts. Really, think about them. Think about hearing the answers to those. Collecting all that rich data about your organization and your culture. And then think about doing something. So let me tell you the story behind each of these prompts. The why. Describe what you need from leadership when things are not going as planned. Well, here is the what do we need to do differently prompt. How do we help you when it is hitting the fan? I can't tell you how many times I hear people say things like, well, it's just not helpful when so-and-so gets really upset and says mean things like this. Or let's, let's figure out a way to do this without that person involved. Well, let's actually collect the data. Let's actually collect what is helpful so that we can do more of it. The next prompt, list what happens in our organization when we are performing poorly. Here is our informal analysis of who and what is nutty when we're in crisis. Well, when it hits the fan, we know that so-and-so will drop their head and we know that she will get angry and she's short-tempered and we know that a lot of emails with contradictory directions are going to come out and we know that there will be a lot of judgment and we know and we know and we know. What are the predictors of the organization? And then what do you do about it? Here is where we learn what we're doing to create, yes, create head droppers. Now, the last prompt. Describe what you need to see and hear from leadership when there is a dumpster fire. Another different type of list that will give us what we need to do to reinforce the efforts and great work of others to get the recipe for dumpster fire success. I love how simple these questions are. Plus, I wrote them, so of course I like them. But seriously, what is your proactive process to review what to do when things will go bad? 
because they always will go bad. We will not find eternal success. Every championship coach and person I've ever met who gets repeated great results says the same thing over and over and over again. It's the process. So, what is your fix-it language? And how do you get those you serve to take over for you? I was sparked by Alex. He gave me a mindset motto. Seriously, when I'm in a difficult situation of my own making, or someone else made for me, I hear his cute little voice saying, Coach, just fix it. So let's do some smart thinking. Describe your process for creating a culture that works towards failure as an option. List the people in your classroom or organization that could benefit from a fix-it metaphor. And describe your approach to supporting those who have their head dropped. That's it. That's the Smart Thinking Podcast. Hey, as always, thank you for listening. And please share this with others and on your social media platforms or accounts. And please make sure to rate this episode. I appreciate you listening and supporting your own leadership and the leadership of others. And also, as always, thank you to the Well Pennies for the great music. Finally, I'm going to ask you to do something for yourself this week. I want you to write down a lesson you learned from someone else each day. This is a challenge because I want you to think about how much leadership is all around you and how powerful the stories occurring around you actually are. What do you learn from the children you support, from the adults you serve, and from your colleagues and your spouse? Are you living your life through curiosity? I ask because I wonder what I would have done to Alex. Yes, what I would have done to him if I had not been trained by someone else. Some point in time in my life, someone taught me to ask the question, what can I do different? Imagine your impact on the world around you if you put into place a failure is okay culture, a we just need to fix it mindset. I've always been amazed by how many people I know who just stand there and find a reason to blame other people instead of just getting to it and fixing what is broken. Permanent head droppers seem to be stuck, and they can be a real problem in the success of everyone around them, but most importantly, themselves. Getting them unstuck is not easy, but it is just as easy to ignore them. If you're a head dropper, get out of survival mode and here, fix it. And if you serve head droppers, get to the root of it and find a common language. We are obligated to find ways to lift others to put them first and to find ways for them to be their best. That happens when you take the first step and lift up their chin. It happens when you embrace the failure and you, well, you charge into the storm, behind them, next to them, or in front of them. But always, always for them. Wish I found better sounds no one's ever heard. Wish I had a better voice, sang some better words. Wish I found some chords in an order that is new Wish I didn't have to rhyme every time I sang I was told when I was older all my fears would shrink Now I'm insecure and I care what people think Wish we could turn back time To the good old days When a mama sang to sleep but now it's stressed out wish we could turn back time to the good old days when our mama sang us to sleep
times a certain smell will take me back when I was young Never able to identify where it is coming from Make a candle out of it if I ever found it Try to sell it, never sell out, no, probably only sell one Beat up my brother cause we have the same nose, same clothes Homegrown stones, throw a quick wheels to roam Would remind us when nothing really mattered Out of student homes and treehouse homes, we all would take the Wish we could tell